welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Hi there, and welcome again to the Defender Podcast. This is Rick Morton. Today is July the 12th, 2023, and today we're going to be talking about spiritual development in kids that have come from hard places. And so um, kids that have um, experienced trauma and neglect and have adverse experiences in their background uh, can oftentimes be challenged in a number of ways in their future development, and one of those ways is in their spiritual development. And and so because we want to see kids uh, grow to know and follow Jesus, we think it's important to talk about how um, these experiences can affect the way that our kids uh, grow up and the way that they grow spiritually. Um, And also just to really give parents and and other uh, adults that are poured into the lives of these special kiddos um, how to uh, best approach and best help as as we're helping them to uh, to know God and and to know God fully uh, in in their walk with Him. And so today I'm joined by Angela Maines. Angela is the senior director of Lifeline Counseling. Uh, she oversees both our counseling ministry and our parent coaching ministry. Uh, Angela is a licensed professional counselor. Uh, she's a, an LPC supervisor, and that means that she's able to supervise other students as they're pursuing licensure. Um, she also is a registered play therapist and serves on the play therapy board here in Alabama. And so Angela has been uh, active in working with kids that have come from hard places for more than a decade. Um, she brings a wealth of experience and uh, really excited about the conversation that I'm going to get to have with her today. Before we do that, we want to remind you about uh, the Fund Your Adoption ebook. And And so if you're out there and you are considering adoption, maybe praying through adoption, but haven't yet taken that step, um, and maybe one of the concerns that's on your mind is, well, how how in the world could we ever pay for an adoption? Well, there are a whole bunch of us that have asked that question. And along the way, we thought at Lifeline it would be really good if we wrote down a few of those things and put them in a book and uh, put them in an accessible form where families could find them. And so we created uh, the How to Fund Your Adoption ebook. Um, if you um, want tips and resources and contact information for grant organizations and all those sorts of things, there is there is a completely viable way for you to to do an adoption and for it it not to to be a financial burden to your family. Uh, and so if you'd like to receive this free ebook or to learn more uh, about how you might finance your adoption, you can either go to our show notes or you can see um, the information at lifelinechild.org. If you go into the adoption tab um, and click the adoption page there, you'll see a tab uh, for the, the fund your adoption, uh, how to fund your adoption ebook. And it's right there so that you can find it. The URL that's here has way too many dashes and we talk about dashes every week on here and this is just too big, too many dashes. So go to the show notes or the adoption tab at lifelinechild.org and you'll be able to find it there. Well, speaking of dashes, Angela Maines uh, is a has a Master of Arts. She's an LPC-S and a TBRF practitioner, play therapy, registered play therapist, all of these accolades, all these things. But the, the best thing that, I, um, that I'm proud of is I can say Angela is my friend, and I'm really glad you're here. 
Absolutely. I'm glad to be able to call you a friend too, Rick. So we're going to, absolutely. So we're going to delve into a topic that, um, it's funny because we find ourselves talking about this all the time. And, uh, and we talk about it, um, from the perspective of being parents that have kids in our home that are, um, that are growing up and, and growing into adulthood and, and, and are taking ownership of their own faith. Um, we also talk about it professionally and, and in the things that we do here at Lifeline. But, um, but the topic of spiritual development is one of those, one of those things that, um, is, is another one of those things that's a little more complex and a little more complicated when, when you introduce the idea of a, a child that's coming from a hard place and, and kids that have had adverse experiences along the way. And so we just kind of want to delve into that today a little bit and, and, uh, and just have a conversation. Cause I think it, one of the things that we've experienced as, um, as parents is, um, there aren't just a good enough, good, healthy places where, we can enter into these conversations with other people, um, and and I know Denise and I have have craved the 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 presence and the ability of being able to find other people that are at the same place in the journey, farther along in the journey we are with their kids, and 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 just to be able to talk about how um, how we're helping our kids to follow Jesus in the midst of um, you know the the journey that we're on as a, as a family and, and, and in our parenting. So, um, so maybe first thing Angela is, is talk a little bit about the, the role of family and, and, and sort of God's design in, in the role of family with regard to particularly spiritual development of children. Yeah. You know, it's it's really beautiful. I love looking at some of the Old Testament models and templates from just even the Jewish faith and how they went about trying to train up children and giving them roles in the church, giving them a responsibility. And, you know, you see that idea of I in an ideal world of what that could look like and the beauty of teaching people to follow and writing things on your forehead and on your doorsteps, on the door frames, you know, the, I'm butchering it, but the idea. <laughs> you're good. You're good. You had the, you had the right places. <laughs> that was where it was written. But those ideas of we're going to put the scripture all around us and it's going to be part of our daily life. It's going to, our lives are going to live and move and breathe. Mm. In that sense of we want to follow God. And that doesn't mean that we as parents are doing that perfectly because I know we, my husband and I have not, right. um, even in our seasons of working in churches or not, you know, it's, it's, we're flawed and we're human, but, but our kids can know from a very young age that they have a place in mm-hmm. the church, that they have a place in God's world. And so you see that in that, that microcosm of community that the family is the family the bigger community of the church Um, and i think that's where we really see the template for a child who cannot conceptualize i mean we struggle to understand this unseen massive god and so i i think the template for beginning to understand who god is and who god can be starts with the way they see their parents yep and the role that parents take in their lives, you know, and and that is um, that is a kind of a scary thought as a parent on yeah. some level, right? You know, um, that that there's but 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 it's true, and I and I think we want to paint an accurate picture that what what God is calling for us to do in parenting is not to be Him. Yes, 
he's not calling for, you know, omniscience or omnipresence or although I think some moms come really close with like eyes in the back of your head like that. It's amazing. Um, the, the sixth sense that develops, but, but, I, but, but, you know, all joking aside, I mean, I, I think the, the, I think as I've as I've studied human development over the years and and understood the importance of the the stages and and kind of the way that we progressively develop, it's it's all tied ultimately back to a sense of of felt safety and a sense of security. That is that is really the thing that infancy is kind of built around and all about. Absolutely right. Like you look at. Erickson's stages of development, just for example, and that idea of trust versus mistrust that comes up in that first year to year and a half mm-hmm. of life. And and that's where it's like I have a voice and I can cry and get my needs met. Right. And so that through that cycle that's repeated, what, over 100,000 times, like a child learns that they have a voice and somebody's going to come and the world is mostly a good place. Yep. And I can trust that there is something bigger than myself that's going to help me when I need it. Wow. Like just let that kind of sit for just a second. I think because because truly, um, I I think what I what I've come to believe is and 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 have come to understand that 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 is that is us seeing what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. Right. That that God built within us the capacity that through through family being and functioning and doing what it is that He's designed for us to do to love on babies and to enjoy them and to, you know, comfort them and to change them and to feed them and to do all these things that are, you know, such just incredibly wonderful parts of and and the the journey of parenting. When we do all those things, um, we're also we're also helping to build the wiring of our child's brain. Absolutely. We're also helping to lay down the tracks of, you know, their their worldview. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, it is. It's it's hefty. And like I know when I was a young mom, I didn't have that perspective and it was overwhelming and exhausting. But it's it's so true. Like those tasks, those, you know, for some reason, God chose to create a family system where Babies are born and are completely helpless. Yep. You know, we're one of the few species on earth that doesn't have any sort of independence within hours of being alive. Right. And so we have to be dependent on our caregivers to take care of us. And it's it's an interesting question. Like, why? Why did he do it? You know, it's like from the beginning, he wanted us to understand who he was and our dependence on him. That's right. And, and, the, and the family is is the crucible mm-hmm. in in which that's you know that's worked out probably most deeply and most fully um, beginning at the first you know just hour of life yes um, so <laughs> what happens when that gets interrupted what happens when that when that thing that God has 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 ordained and intended what happens when that doesn't doesn't help happen well yeah and that's that's our kids that's mm-hmm. the kids we're that that we're we talk about here on the defender podcast that kids that have had 
um, you know, traumatic experiences, kids that have experienced neglect, kids that ex- have experienced abuse and, and, and other forms of trauma, um, the consequences are incredibly profound for, for that, for understanding spiritual development. Yeah. So, um, like how, how, how did, how have you seen that play out in the lives of children that you've had the privilege of working with over the years? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I don't think it matters if a child is adopted at birth or later on. I think that there is this innate sense in many, not all, but in most, I would say that there's this sense of I'm a throwaway kid. Mm. I'm a piece of garbage. And I've heard that repeatedly, mm. um, from a variety of kids from all kinds of backgrounds of adoption Hmm. because there's this, there must have been something wrong with me if even my birth parent didn't want me. Hmm. And so it's the unspoken belief that kind of drives a lot of what they do. Hmm. Um, They'll likely not have that cognitive awareness that it's even there. And so literally today I had a kid tell me, I'm a piece of garbage. I don't think I'm a weight to God, but I do think I'm a piece of trash, so why would he want me? Wow. And it's that heartbreaking moment, and this is somebody, you know, like to see the wrestling, and it's not unique to this particular child, but to see the wrestling of how do I even know my value and Mm. that God created me for a purpose. Like there's just such a strong sense of pain. Uh, And that that's just, it's it's overcomable. Like obviously we serve an almighty omniscient, um, sovereign God who knows what he's doing, Mm -hmm. even in our kids who have so much pain from the very beginning. And I'm a firm believer that he doesn't, no pain goes to waste. He has a purpose. Mm. We may not know it yet, but helping them overcome and see that can be really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, I think there's a piece of this that, um, that that goes back to something that you said earlier, um, and I'm a I'm I'm a little bit of an Ericksonian Ericksonian developmentalist nut, and so I think I think Eric Erickson got a lot of things right. Um, I think he had a really bad worldview, yes. <laughs> and I think he did. I think he really didn't understand who God is. But I, but I think he had. But I think he had some things that were that were really perceptive in in understanding kind of the stages and the progression and the way. And the way our environment um, is is part of that, and and I I believe that God has has ordained an environment, has created an environment that's intended to to help to shape us, and I think the scriptures reflect that. Um, when you know when you see um, you know Second Timothy, and you know, and in, in, in the beginning of Second Timothy, where he says, you know, older men teach the younger men, and older women teach the younger women, and all there is a pattern to that that even extends beyond the family that says that that there's supposed to be this both holding and and protecting, but also this investing in and educating in a in a way that that helps us to to benefit from the wisdom of those that have, that that are ahead of us on the journey but also that we that we feel somewhat protected by those who are ahead of us on the journey that there's a you know without getting too like 
it, it, there's a shepherding that goes on. And and the first place we see that, and in in like the strongest place maybe we see that, is inside the family. And when kids, when kids haven't had that sense of innate security, when when they can't when they when they've never had the benefit of being able to assume that their needs are going to be met and that the world is a is a basically good place, then how much harder is it to believe in a loving heavenly Father who? who looks out for them, who who has provided for them when they've never, in some cases, really experienced um, an earthly father or an earthly mother who have done that. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. That's And that's, that's the challenge, right? There's, as you said so well and laid out, like the, the protection, like we as adults know the world really isn't a good place. Right. But we have this embodied sense of well-being um, that comes from having good enough parents, good enough caregivers, right? right. I want to make sure parents know you don't have to be perfect <laughs> in the midst of this. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of come back to that in a second. But when you don't have that innate sense of there is something out there I can trust, right? then it makes it really difficult. If I don't have an earthly father or mother that's caring for me and loving me and shepherding me and protecting me, it makes it really hard to believe. Like, why would I believe that this God that I can't see yeah. would do that for me? Yeah. Why would I believe, you know, the, the unfortunate consequence of that negative inner working model that comes when children don't receive the care that they need early on is that they end up with a worldview that says, I have to take care of myself. I can't trust anybody but myself. And I, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to stay safe because right. I'm the only one I can count on. Right. And so they become very good at keeping people at arm's length and sabotaging. Yeah. And that extends to to the way that they relate to God. Absolutely. They begin to look for proof of what they already believe to be true. Right. See, I told you God was out to get me. Right. I told you I'm praying, but I don't really think he's listening. Mm-hmm. It, it's really difficult. There's just – it's not impossible, obviously. Right. But it does become more challenging. Well, and I think the I think the message is, um, first of all, it's not it's not impossible. Yeah. <laughs> and and the and the reason we know it's not impossible is because if you look in human terms at any of us, you know, coming to salvation through Jesus, mm-hmm. it it there's there's a level of impossibility to that. Absolutely. Right, like you, you start you start thinking about the task and the, um, and 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 the scriptures validate that. Mm-hmm. That you know we and and I don't want to, I don't want to get into a soteriological you know discussion in the middle of this podcast. For those of you that don't know what that two dollar theological word means <laughs> that I just threw out, I don't either. Um, no, but but like I don't want to get into the nature of the theology of salvation, but I think there's a there is a there is a scriptural principle that says no matter how you sort that out theologically, that that God came after us first before before we came after Him, and and no matter where you fit along the spectrum of how you think that works out, there is a there's a defined order of operations in the universe that says if if we were left to our own devices, 
um, we we would have never found our way to God, but but God's intervention was necessary to come after us. And if that's true, then part of what we understand in this is is that there is a there is a holy supernatural component to our salvation. There is something. There's a transaction that happens. Um, that is that is God's business, that is God's initiative, that, that's God's work. Um, we don't do anything to earn it. We don't do anything to merit it. We don't, you know, we don't we don't buy into it. Um, God does the work. Um, we, you know, we 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 do the being present. <laughs> and 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 in that, um, and again, I, I think I'm not trying to make a, a theological statement about that, but just to say, I don't wherever you fall on that, that's that's kind of the way you have to look at this. Um, and so, for moms and dads that are out there struggling with kids that are saying, "Hey, I don't, I don't think they're ever going to get it." Yeah. Um, not it's not that's not the way this works. Right, right. And I think that's <laughs> when one of the hardest things working in post adoption with families and. And I say this with all the love in the world. I think some of our hardest families sometimes are those who are in ministry. Yeah. Um, because there's this this fear and this like, oh, I've got to deal with this sin. I've got to deal with this sin. Yep. And we expect children who have – and by children, it could be – a lot of times it's teenagers, right, where you think, okay, well, they should be old enough to know better. Um, but they're new to the family. They're, they're newer and they're wrestling and they're struggling and they're working out their faith for themselves, whatever that is. And so parents try to come at this and their child's spiritual development by tackling sin. Yep. And they miss the heart of the child. Yep. And so it's, it's a lot of battles over things that yep. um, they're not going to win. And it does more damage because it ends up communicating to the child that God's this guy who's only worried about what I do. And he's just another person who wants something from me and I can't trust him. Yep. And so that's really where I know a lot of times it feels overwhelming and daunting for our families to think about how do I really win the heart of this child and come in with that connection first approach Um, because there's all these things that the child is doing that feel like this personal attack on the parents at the end of the day that's the only I mean look God is God and he can work whether we're compliant or and on board with it or not he can reach kids hearts but that is that is the way that's going to give our kids the best shot and kind of lay the groundwork for our kids to be able to receive what he's trying to do in them. So I'm actually um, thinking of a couple of um, a couple of resources, honestly, that that are I think really super effective for families. And one of them, um, I know you're gonna you're gonna amen with, and and it's it's a thing called. Um, connected families that we've started to you know really latch on to around here and and one of the reasons we've really latched on to it and and have become um, good friends with the with Jim and Lynn that that began connected families is because it really does give a very good biblical theological framework for understanding the therapeutic parenting that we've We've been, you know, pointing people toward for years, and and so, you know, people ask me. They say, "Well, like, what's like, what's the most important thing for you to do?" And it's, it's work on attachment. It's, it's yeah. do it's do those things to, you know, to get to the heart of your child, 
um, and and trust that God's going to do what He's what He's to do. Um, you know, like we can't save them, um, right. just like our parents couldn't save us. And, and yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and I really, I really think we have to be careful about expecting people that don't believe the way that we believe to act like they do. Yeah. You know, that's the process of sanctification comes once God has intervened. And so we can't start by trying to tell people they're sinning, they're sinning. Look, you're sinning, you're sinning. Like, they don't care at that point because they don't believe what we believe. And so it's not that dissimilar to trying to share the gospel to anybody in our world that's not a believer. And I I think there's, like, you have to separate. There there is a, and and I don't know, you may, may like, throw a chair at me when I say this. Um, but but I think there's a there's a difference between um, having having rules in your home and having a way that you're going to live as a family and and your faith absolutely and and so we can you know and and so even saying to your kids saying to older kids um, as a family we go to church together mm-hmm. and there's some things to be expected when you go that. You know, you're not going to make a ruckus. You're, you know, you're you're going to be respectful to people. Those kind of things that, like, there's there's an appropriate way to set boundaries. Absolutely. In that boundaries are great, <laughs> but but there's an appropriate way to set boundaries yeah. and and also kind of not not try to f- force their faith. Right. You can't you can't force their faith, and that often has the opposite result. And so there's this delicate balance, like you you mentioned respect, like going and respecting the the place, which is absolutely important. And we get the opportunity to model respect in how we approach it with our kids. Yeah. Because if we're coming in and we're demanding and criticizing and blaming and just really berating kids for the way that they're acting, which, again, behavior does need to be corrected. Right. Like, this isn't a free-for-all. Right. Um, but doing it in such a way that shows them respect, too. Like, hey, you know what? I realize you don't believe what we're what we're going to church to do, and that's right. okay. You don't have to believe it. I respect that. I respect where you're at and realize this is a really hard thing to understand and probably seems a little weird. Like, right. if you can take – a second, and I don't think we, I think sometimes this is hard for believers to do, but to take a second and just try to like step out of our Christian worldview, Christian way of looking at the world and think about how does this look to people outside? Right. Right. Like it makes sense to us because we've, many of us have grown up in it, not all of us, but there's, there's this like, oh, well, this might look really funny or really strange to a kid who has no prior experience with anything like that. Sure. And to just be able to say, you know what? I realize this might be a little weird. Yeah. This might seem kind of strange. Yeah. Like that's okay. Like yeah. that makes so much sense. If you'll, this is part of being in our family, like you said. Like this is this is something we like to do together. And you may not understand it right now, and that's okay. I hope that as you come, maybe you'll begin to enjoy parts of it, and maybe you won't. But well, I appreciate you being respectful for something that our family and, feels and strongly here, about. And here's the thing. And I don't know. You know, like I certainly don't want. To, I don't want to set us up to be on a pedestal in this at all because I think I think we have we have goofed up a whole lot more than I feel like we've gotten it right in in this regard and so we've learned a lot by doing the wrong thing and and by um, you know by kind of groping our way through 
but but I think w- one of the things is that I that I've learned is it's much more important to have our kids around people who are authentic in their faith than it is to to try to push my kids into into believing on in in something or or acting upon something mm-hmm. and you know and and so you know you alluded to Deuteronomy 6 and you know in the Shema and that mm-hmm. that whole idea of i mean what what God is telling Israel at that point is is just make me um, the focal point of your day. Yeah. Talk about me in natural places. Yeah. Put references to me all over the place in places that you see and places you're going to be reminded of. Um, it it's you know and and in and in modern context like we went through a. a we went through a season and you can laugh at this too, because I, like, I remember when, when like the preoccupation in ministry was telling people, well, like, are you having like an intentional Bible study with your kids and, you know, like, or whatever. And, and like all these resources that were coming out about, you know, dad's teaching their children and stuff. And I, and I'm not, and I'm not clowning any of that stuff. I think all that stuff is awesome. It's great, but I feel, I've felt like a complete failure on that front because you haven't done it nearly as consistently as as have most of us. And, you know, but, but the truth is that, that in my heart of hearts, while all of that was going on, I, I, you know, I never could get away from the fact of saying, yeah, it's like, it, like I want you to have an intentional time to pray with your kids. I want you to have an intentional time to be in the Word with your kids. But but like the biggie on the eye chart here is is do your kids see Jesus when you're driving on the interstate? Do your kids see Jesus when you're buying gas or when you're you know interacting with people in the community? There's a there was a study there was a study that came out a few years ago, and this is earth shattering. Um, they they looked at people who who regularly share their faith, and and they looked at like all of these life factors and asked them this massive questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Any guess as to what the number one predictor variable was for somebody who who was a personal evangelist? I'm guessing it's something to do with the family. I had a mom or dad who regularly shared their faith, <laughs> which makes so much sense. And I, I think kind of pulling it back to like even just development. Yeah. Like if you're getting a child who's entering your home as an infant or a two year old or a four year old, like it's a whole lot easier to begin putting some of this into practice and taking them to church when they really don't have a choice. Right. And I think it shifts um, as they get to those teen years because that whole point to go back to Erickson is that identity versus role confusion. And yep. so then at that point, it's like we've got to figure out how to make, how to equip our kids to wrestle with and make faith their own. Yep. So my, my husband and I got into an argument one Sunday on our way to church because, <laughs> you know, that's what happens. Um, and so, you know. What? You weren't like singing hymns on the way to church? I want to have to talk to Scott about this. <laughs> And I don't think we do sharing this story, (laughs) you know, because and what we were arguing about is our look, our boys are both biological children. So they have had a different beginning than many of the children we're talking about. Um, But, you know, our son was in bed and he was he didn't get up to go to church. He has a car. And we were kind of in the moment of, well, you know, the way he was raised, the way I was raised was we should make our child go to church. Right. And I was like, 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 let's just hold up for a second. And I think it's okay at this point. He's 
16 years old, he can make this choice. You know, he's going to go tonight. Like, I get it. I wanted to be at church, too. And he's like, well, I just didn't think church was negotiable. And it's like, it's not. But at some point, he has to decide for himself that he wants church to be in his life. And that if he doesn't own his faith, if it's not his, he can't just borrow ours. Yep. So I could get into that power struggle and force it to happen. Or we can let the Holy Spirit do its job. And the fact that we have worked really hard to raise him and make yep. that a value. Yep. And he doesn't rarely, like, rarely does he sleep in. Like, now he is a 17 year old that's a hot mess, but he will <laughs> go to church. He, As is every 17 year old. Exactly. Like, he's on student leadership. He, and even lately, y'all, like, it's, I'm like, don't make a big deal. Like, play cool, right? right? Like, don't go overboard. But I'll walk in and he's like journaling or reading a devotional book. Right. All right. Yes. On the inside. But I'm like, oh, cool. What you're eating? Yeah, looks great. Yeah. You know, like try not to make too big a deal out of it. Right. You know, because he's starting to figure out how to own his faith. Right. He has to take responsibility. Right. And that kind of goes back to the Lynn and Jen stuff of we've got to help our kids be accountable and responsible. But uh, but I think for a kid, for a kid who's not had that foundation. Yes. What, I guess what I'm what I'm very plainly trying to say is. Invest in that foundation. Yes, and that's where I was going next yeah. because I think it gets even harder when you're welcoming kids who are teenagers 100%. into your home because they haven't had that. 100%. So everything that you just said as far as the conversations as you go, you have to pick your battles very carefully. Yeah. And so you may start by trying to introduce church, but if you're getting strong resistance and that becomes this power struggle, there are a lot of other ways to help build in your child's spiritual development to begin opening up the door to those conversations like you were saying you're you're gonna have opportunities along the way absolutely where where your kids are going to find out if they can trust you or not yes and that's really look like that's that's (laughs) the key like if we can marry the erickson with the spiritual development right you have to essentially go back and establish trust versus mistrust you're gonna have to go through shame versus you know right i I forget the other word but you get the idea like you have to take them through that even if they're 14 (laughs) you're gonna have to take them back through those stages of development both for themselves and on a spiritual level and that's why that's honestly why um that's why a lot of us need help like that's why we need you know parent coaches and therapists and, and people to come alongside to help us to you know kind of tease that that yeah out and and particularly with kids that are older who are kind of past that threshold of they you know like they're in that independence place where they don't want to talk to us yeah you know where they where they kind of where they where where they're they're trying to figure themselves out and they're they're naturally kind of separating from us as parents, yeah. even though we haven't been around. That's right. You know? And that's where your community becomes so crucial. Like, who are the people in your world that you're 100%. closest with, right? Like, who are the people that you're surrounding? And maybe they don't want to come to church, but maybe you have people over and you have other people willing to invest right. and take a significant invested role in that child. Right. Because, I mean, the reality is a lot of times they hear it better from anybody else. <laughs> hundred percent. And I, and I think that's where, you know, that's also where I think, you know, having inside the church Mm -hmm. awareness in your student ministry, awareness in the, in the people and the places are going to invest in your kids is, is just, you know, terribly, terribly important. Um, well, 
Angela, one encouragement that you would give to families and, and like, what's the one yeah. big nugget that you would say as they're in the midst of this journey and, and, and trying to figure out how to, how to encourage the, you know, the spiritual development of their kids. Don't try to be perfect. You're mm. not going to be, you, it's okay. Like you're not supposed to be, yeah, you know, we get it wrong as parents most of the time. And one of the, um, we talk a lot about redos, yep. but one of the things that I love about the way Lynn and Jim teach redos is, you know, we as parents need to ask for redos first. Mm. We can't expect our kids to like that. We can, when we screw it up and we blow up or we don't do what we think we're supposed to, or we know is the right thing to do in that moment. It's like, you know what? Can I have a redo? Yeah. Because we're modeling then too, a heart of forgiveness that I think is very much a spiritual principle. And as I wrestled with as a parent myself, you know, we get into all kinds, all those personality things, yeah. right? Like an Enneagram is the hot button one that's been trendy for the last it's it's actually very old but trendy in the last couple years has come back into kind of awareness and looking at those childhood questions that we all have and i sat there thinking like is there a way to raise children where they don't have Mm. this childhood wounding Mm. and my conclusion was i don't really think there's a way to do that and i think that's okay i think that's intentional because i think the moments we get it wrong are also the opportunities God uses to reach our children yeah. and to show them their need for him. And so I, I think it's yeah. really actually a good thing that we don't get it right all the time. Yeah. That's a good word. Um, those are great opportunities to be able to show our kids what repentance looks like. Absolutely. And and not just, and not, not before them, but before the Lord. Yeah. That you know, and and so, wow, what a good word, Angela Maines. It's always a pleasure, Rick. Hey, you're one of my favorite people to interview and talk to, and we could do this forever. We could, um, but uh, but we're really thankful that we've had. I'm thankful that we've had this opportunity to have this conversation, and um, thankful for all the people that listen to the Defender podcast, and so. Uh, you can find us at lifelinechild.org. You can email us by uh, emailing info at lifelinechild.org. If you have questions for Angela or, uh, or, or me, but mostly for Angela, you can email that email address. Um, and also, if, uh, if your family would benefit from someone coming alongside in parent coaching, maybe to, to give a little you know, third party um, view of, of maybe some of the things to help your, your family to be, um, you know, t- to be a little more aware and, and, and a little more, um, a little more able to apply the things that you know, and the things that you've been taught. We love to do that. Um, if, you know, perhaps you, you or your child, you need to go a little deeper and you want to spend some time um, talking with someone who has great expertise and great skill and, and someone who will, um, you know, will, will help you to, to be able to, to, to get out those things that are, that are kind of, um, you know, hard, hard to say and hard to think about and hard to take perspective on. Um, I recommend our counselors here and, and our team. And I think they do an excellent job in a way that honors Christ and in a way that, that takes good care of people. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. 
For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.